is the Youth Worker Collective podcast from Young People's Ministries. You don't have to be in ministry alone with resources, coaching, games, and more at umcyoungpeople.com. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, July must be because me and Jeremy are hanging out again. <laughs> we are hanging out again. It's it's my favorite moment of the week. Mine too, actually. Um, and for me, it's still morning, but Jeremy, for you, it's afternoon. You were among the um, clergy people who sort of got like new positions in July. So you're no longer in California. You're That's back right. to Alabama. No longer in California. I have moved back to uh the Alabama West Florida Conference. I'm in Mobile and I'm working as uh, the executive director of the South Alabama Wesley Foundation. So um, super pumped to be here and to be part of that crazy connectional system that means you get to move around sometimes. Yeah, I've, I've got a lot of friends, uh, you know, who are clergy that July 1st, sure enough, they have kind of moved around a little bit. I know everybody's kind of finding their footing in July. And then with school getting started for a lot of places in the U.S. in August, um, those of them that have kids are really trying to get settled and like, you know, get kids into school and then really start to engage with their congregations or their new appointments. So um, I'm glad the move was good for you. And um, I'm really glad that we're hanging out again. Uh, And in our kind of prep talk for this morning, we we were trying to figure out what to do. And um, we, we got into a conversation about, because you are back in uh, the Alabama-West Florida Conference, kind of like that idea of going home again or reconnecting with your roots mm-hmm. um, and how valuable or how eye-opening that can be sometimes. So, you know, having yeah. left Alabama and, You know, back, deep in your roots, like, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to say, just having left Alabama and having come back um, to those places where you had some of the formative experiences in your youth ministry life and in your ministry life in general. Um, how does it feel to be back? Are, are you seeing things with new eyes or or how's that going? You know, it's interesting because um, there's pieces that's like, oh, you never, I never left, right? That restaurant is still right there. And, um, you know, I've got children and some of my children are going to a school that that they went to before we moved. Mm -hmm. And so there's this like really interesting piece of our life. And, um, and then, and then there's all of this, like, okay, seeing it with fresh eyes. Right. So being, um, being in another culture and another place. Yeah. You come back and not, only do you notice how humid and hot it is in South Alabama. <laughs> you also notice um, different ways about how people are valuing things, how people talk about things. The You notice some of the structural pieces of the culture that, um, that you might not have noticed before, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, you know, and, and as I think about youth ministry stuff, um, I know a good handful of youth ministers who get hired back into the church where they grew up. Right. Um, and they kind of get oh, that right. same yeah. experience of looking yeah. at things with fresh eyes because all of a sudden they're seeing a little bit larger part of the picture. Right. Um, 
And I, I think there's a lot of value in being able to have experiences in different places. Yeah. And behind the curtain a little bit. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, and, and I had uh, some really kind of deep root experiences over July as well. And so I know we're going to talk about those a little bit too. Yeah. I want to hear, because, you know, talking about going back to your roots, um, like where you used to live is one thing, but going back to the roots of our sort of stream of Christianity, like you did uh, on your Wesley pilgrimage, that is a whole other level of going back to your roots. I, I, I know that for me, like I, I I've had an ex- a couple of experiences like that, you know, like going to Israel, for example, mm-hmm. and feeling this connection of like, Oh, wow, this is a real place. It's not just something that you read about in the Bible. Uh, and there's something I think really powerful about location, right? There really is, um, especially like you know, if we're talking about churches with within our Christian tradition or our denomination, right? Because you and I are both part <laughs> of the United Methodist Church. Um, the United right. Methodist Church specifically started in America, right? Even though it was part of this right. broader Methodist movement um, that John and Charles Wesley mm-hmm. and several others from the Holy Club um, kind of got the ball rolling in. Um, so, yeah, like for, yeah. for those that don't know, uh, Discipleship Ministries offers a Wesley pilgrimage, which visits some of the historical sites across England, uh, where John and Charles Wesley had some of their formative experiences and the Methodist movement really started to um, pick up energy and uh, be a part of kind of that that reformers movement in England. Um, it was particularly interesting for me because uh, I'm a layperson, right? I, I have not been to seminary, and so I've done some history stuff here and there. Um, obviously, I pay attention to confirmation curriculums and those kinds of things. So right. I have gone through those basics many, many, many times. Um, but like, if you've ever been in a church that's named Epworth United Methodist Church, like right. I can say I've been to Epworth and I know why that name is important. <laughs> right. It's in, and that's where John and Charles grew up. Uh, uh, not, not, just, not just John and Charles. Um, well, uh, yes. they, and they, they were part of, of them. Yeah. So their parents, uh, Samuel and Susanna Wesley had 19 kids. Um, not all of them made it to adulthood because at the time, right, like infant mortality was really high, diseases were really high. Right. Um, but it it gave me a sense of, you know, some of why John maybe turned out like he did. Um, because Susanna had to have like a crazy methodical structure to make it work with all the kids that she had in that house. I remember this story. Um <laughs> so John's dad was a real like uh monarchist like very loyal to the monarchy yep at at the time and uh they would say sort of a standard blessing over their meals and his uh spouse Susanna Wesley mm-hmm. um John's John Wesley's mother um uh they were saying the thing and part of the part of the blessing of the food that you would say was a blessing over the monarch. She didn't say it. She wouldn't she say wouldn't it. Say That's it. Right. Yeah. Because she she didn't agree. And uh and he got so mad one day. They had a huge fight. He went on this this uh this he was a he was a priest. He was the the, yep. the rector, the, the senior pastor of their their uh, parish, their church. And he goes to this church meeting and there's somebody there from the Navy who is like signing people up to be chaplains in the Navy. He's so mad at her. He just signs up (laughs) and he goes back and tells her, 
I'm out. I'm going to be a chaplain <laughs> in the Navy. And I won't have to hear you not pray to bless the monarchy anymore. <laughs> and they reconcile. And, and uh, John Wesley's father wrote in his journal that John was the fruit of their reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I love that story because you get a picture of like a normal family mm. that there's some that some people are unhinged about certain things sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, being being at that house. So, yeah, rectory is is the term that that's another one that like. Right. Um, if you're not familiar with the term rector, right? Like that was a term that was right. used for somebody serving as a priest in a community. And so the house that that rector would live in was the rectory. It it makes a lot of sense that way. Um, one of the other things, because he stayed, right? And, and because their family continued to grow and he kept that appointment in Epworth, um, the, the rectory- It's, would it's have- not pronounced like one of the kids in my confirmation- uh, he he raised his hand. He said, "Have you ever been to that rectory?" And I was oh, like, no. No. "Oh no, <laughs> not that, not that." This is an important it's, distinction it's to rec- make. We're going to pause our conversation. Rectory. <laughs> um, but the the one that we saw actually wasn't the original one where John was a kid, right? Because one of the other stories. Oh really? There, uh, oh right. Is, yes. Yeah. The the house burned, burned down. Um, Samuel. Uh, the dad, right, was uh, also a fairly fiery preacher, and some of the people in the community were not all that happy to have him there. Um, so there are right. several different stories about how the fire started at their house, but um, <laughs> right. regardless of how it started, I mean, the the house went up in flames, right? Like back in the day, yeah, uh, most homes were made out of dry wood timbers and horsehair and thatch roofs and and oil all That's over true. the place for candles, and so. Uh, incredibly easy to burn. So this fire starts and the the whole house starts to go up in flames and John is asleep upstairs uh, in the second, Mm -hmm. second, what we would call the the second level of the house. The English would call it the first level Mm -hmm. because there's the garden level and then the first floor. It's very confusing if you're in an elevator or a lift when you're in England for me, because I'm dumb sometimes. (laughs) Um, but John is upstairs and, and he's like five, right? He's a little kid and, and it's the middle of the night and he's asleep. And so he wakes up and the mm-hmm. whole house is smoky. Um, and the townspeople come up and the family helps to rescue him um, by pulling him out of this um, window that, that's on the upper level of the house. And, and he's able to be rescued. Mm-hmm. Um, his mom, Susanna, from then on starts to talk about him as a brand plucked from the burning um, and thinks that John yes. really has this um, special calling in life or things, things that he's going to do that are going to be great things because of this sort of miraculous rescue. Um, and I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, like in your ministry life, if you've ever done something at a church where the congregation has not been happy with you, um, I have never, never, done- I've, I've only ever been happy with me. <laughs> um, I, I've never been in a place where I've done something that angered people so much that they set my house on fire. Um no, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. Instead of leaving, um, Samuel says, you know what? We're going to stay here because I think you all have a lot more to learn about what it means to be Christian. <laughs> so I'm going to build. <laughs> I love that. I know. I, I'm going to build an even bigger house and I'm going to build it out of stone <laughs> to show you how committed I am to helping <laughs> Epworth be this like, you know, right. expression of the Christian faith that we all can be proud of. And so that's the house that you go. Like if you go to Epworth today which is sort of in the north, I guess, east part of England. 
Um, that's the house yeah. that you would see today. I mean, it still is from the late 1700s, right? Um, uh, or mid 1700s, I guess. But yeah, it's made out of stone. It's right. a little bit bigger than the original one that burned down. Um, and the Methodist Church there and the Historical Society have really done a great job of converting it into like a little bit of a museum. And so they've got uh, mm. shoes from the Wesley's family, uh, which were super interesting yeah. to be able to see. They've removed a couple of layers of um, remodeling things that have been done because that house was actually used as a rectory or like as a parsonage yeah. until the 1960s. Um, and so yeah. there have been many years of remodels to it, but they've kind of stripped back several layers to get back to like the original hearth where John and Charles mm -hmm. Wesley would have, you know, sat and yeah. studied or, you know, sung songs and done prayers with their family and those kind of things. And that stuff was really interesting to see. Mm -hmm. um, one of the other ones, like if, if people don't know, um, John Wesley was like a tiny little man, like that, that song about Zacchaeus, yeah. a wee little man. Um, John Wesley was not tall. <laughs> that song could totally be about yeah. John Wesley. John um, Wesley was a wee little man. <laughs> so they they had uh, what was called a parson's chair or a preacher's chair. And it's this mm -hmm. super awkward looking piece of furniture where the legs are really short and stumpy. Um, and then mm -hmm. the seat itself is really big. And when you're in a service, like if you were sitting, it'd be sort of awkward to sit in. But it was also something that you could then turn around, stand up, and it'd be a good base for you to stand up on when you started preaching. Uh, uh -huh. If you were in a space that right. didn't have a stage to elevate you or anything. Um, and John Wesley's Parsons chair, um, probably had the stumpiest little legs that I've ever seen. Um, and, and <laughs> the, the rumor is, you know, that, that we got from our tour guide was about, you know, that, that was, you know, either because they rotted and, you know, had to be trimmed for preservation or it just made it easier right. for him to get up on that chair because his tiny little legs couldn't get him <laughs> up on the regular size Parsons chair. So things like that were really funny and, and sort of put yeah. uh, this real world personal spin um on this mm -hmm. historic figure uh we also got to go to oxford where yeah. uh wesley was a fellow uh and was was part of the holy club with his right. younger brother charles uh and as was harry and ron oh yeah uh, yeah uh yeah and hermione right. right um yeah they were, the, they were all together at at uh christ church right one of the christ colleges church. in oxford yeah the hall that's there uh, is what they based the Great Hall on in Harry Potter. And one of the staircases that they right. use, uh, that they use in the films, Harry Potter movies, uh, is right there. And you can kind of walk mm -hmm. through as part of the tour as well. Um, the portraits right. in that John hall... John Wesley, it's both. It's, yeah. Uh, the, the portraits is, in that... Is there a hall, portrait of John Wesley? There is, but it doesn't move. Like Harry Does Potter. he talk? No, he doesn't, yeah. Um, but uh, obviously it was put up after he passed away because when John Wesley was starting things, he was not the most popular person within the church of England, but after the Methodist movement no, kind of gained enough roots, um, he was recognized in several different ways across Oxford. Um, the, the other place I want to make sure that we talk about in terms of like, if people are interested in learning more about, uh, sort of the, the roots of Methodist theology or history is, um, there's this mm -hmm. real link, and I think it's an important one for youth ministry, particularly because um, it, that th there's this understanding that the things that we believe should bring us to action, right? Like it's not enough to just believe mm, the thing. Yeah. That doing the things that we believe informs then again what we believe, and then asks us to yes. do those things or do new things based on what we learned because of what we did, right? Um, right. So we also visited Bristol which is on the West coast of England and back in the day would have been the heart of like the British slave trade. So uh, a place yeah. where there's a lot of money being made 
um, with something that, you know, in the modern world, we would generally consider very, very wrong. Um, but in Wesley's time, yeah. in the late 1700s, you know, you're looking at a slave trade and people um, buying and selling other people and considering them property as opposed to considering them people. Um, and so one of the early stances of, of sort of the Methodist movement was this very um, socially progressive piece where it was anti-slavery. Uh, and being in Bristol in this building yep. called the New Room, which is the the oldest standing uh, Methodist preaching house in the world, I think, um, was in fact. I think I'm almost positive. I, I I should have done my prep work. I've, I can see my Methodist history books right there, but I'm pretty sure that Bristol was the place where when they built that. Um, they built that by um, going around and collecting money from. Yep. Uh, from the church members, right? And but it's it, it was in that whole process that they discovered this idea of class meetings, yeah. And that's right. um and and really, I mean, like it's it's based. It's like this. It was like this perfect storm of um, what John Wesley had seen and heard from the Moravians and this sort of practical nature that they that the, the sort of practical task that they had to accomplish, but. In many ways, the the class meetings in the Wesleyan movement are the underpinnings for modern day small group ministry, yeah. right? If if you've done small groups and you sort of trace back, you're going to hit these class meetings, and that happened at this place in Bristol. Yeah, you're exactly right, and and some of the experiences that John and some of the other members of the Methodist movement had, um, you know, with folks from other sort of Christian traditions. There were already these small group meetings or band class meetings or those sorts of things happening. Uh, and they were able to, yeah, like like you said, really help the rubber meet the road and turn their beliefs into some really practical things. Uh, so, yeah, in those class meetings, in those small group meetings, um, the members were asked to contribute a penny per week. Um, and I don't know how to do that calculation. I mean, inflation right now is crazy for us as it is. Um, I have no idea to be able to calculate the inflation since the 1700s till today. But um, there was an element of it where it was like putting where your money where your mouth is, right? Like um, we say that this is important. Yeah. We will put money into creating gathering spaces for us, but also to create support structures um, to work uh, to free slaves, um, to be able to engage with the systems of power that are in place that have kind of created the system yes. and try to dismantle it from there. And um, we'll, we yeah. believe in this strongly enough that we'll put our physical energy into it. We will put our financial energy into it. Um, and as we think about that stuff today, like I, especially in youth ministry, um, I, I think that youth have always had a tremendous ability to sort of look around in the communities they're, they're, that they're a part of and see something that's not quite right right? Like they can see mm -hmm. injustice. They can see things that should be a little bit different. Um, yeah. And those like leaders of youth ministries and leaders of, you know, particularly if you're looking at that Methodist idea of small groups um, have the ability to help yep. organize the energy that young people have and the wrongs that they're seeing yes. and really guide them to be able to make some change. So like I, I could have spent a ton more time in Bristol because I, I loved seeing how sort of oh, the yeah. theology and the practical world met there. Um, and continue to meet because like the British yeah. Methodist Church is alive and well in that new room. And that, that's been a, a functioning church um, since the late 1700s. And, and the, uh, the museum that's there was really awesome. Um, 
And also the the tour guide that we had there and the historian was a, a giant Charles Wesley fan. Um, we often talk about John. Yay, I love Charles Wesley. Um, everybody did. Uh, not as many people like John. Um, a lot of people like Charles. Like he was very friendly, right? He's he was a, easy to get along with. John was a little intense. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was a lot intense, yeah. as a matter of fact. Um, but yeah, everybody seemed to like Charles pretty well. Yeah. And um, when we think about theology and the way it comes across, um, the, the the theology that's in song because of Charles Wesley and the words he wrote yeah. um, is also a tremendous part of why the the Methodist movement happened like it did. And, and I know, like Jeremy, you and I might be yeah. a little bit different, but the the average person probably has not sat there and read one of John Wesley's sermons in a long, long time. Um, no, no, the, odds are the last time that they sang a Charles Wesley hymn was not all that long ago. Um, yeah, like this fact, past Sunday. Yeah, odds are good, right? Like, uh, and and if not this past Sunday, certainly every Christmas, everybody sings "Hark the Herald Angels Sing." Um, so right. I think, well, I mean, and we'll right, if you if you sing hymns in out of the United Methodist Hymnal, the first hymn, "O Four Thousand Tongues to Sing," won't go into the story today, but it's it's Charles Wesley, and it's all about pivotal moment in the in Charles and John's life and perception of God and theology and church, um, and we sing it all the time. Yeah. If you're in the hymn singing kind of church, but even that one, I think uh, that one at some point in the past, is, it keeps getting further and further in the past, but it was redone by an artist named David Crowder. Um, oh, who's so that? I've never heard of David Crowder. contemporary settings. Is, is um, David Crowder I, a big I deal? <laughs> yeah, he was uh, doing youth specialties back when Mark, uh, Mark, uh, I'm sorry, Mike Iaconelli ran it. So uh, for all the old timers, you're welcome. You know, I, I do. I do want to go back real quick. I know yeah. that we we're we're going to be winding down, but I, when you were talking about uh, the slave trade and mm. their work there, mm-hmm. you know, I I kept remembering that it, you know, the Methodist Church technically started in the United States. The the official church. It was a sort of reform group within the Church of England all the way until John Wesley died. And mm-hmm. then it was incorporated as in church. But but even so in that early stage, like when John Wesley was still alive, um the, the anti-slavery work was happening on both sides of the Atlantic with mm-hmm. Methodists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the leader of Methodism, uh, the leaders of Methodism in America, um uh, uh Francis Asbury uh, he, it, they, there's lots of things, stories you can tell about his work, his anti-slavery work. One of them that I think was really amazing is they went to George Washington, mm-hmm. who owned slaves. And they spent a couple of days with George Washington, trying to convince him to free all of his slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, it like many things in Methodism, they hit a middle ground that uh, that uh, they found a middle way that was not maybe the most just way uh, for the people who were fighting for the freedom of slaves. But um, instead of him freeing all of his slaves at that point, that that happened when he died. Uh, but that happened as a result of these Methodist leaders going and confronting him for days. Yeah. Um, and working through that with him. And so I, that's helpful to me because it, there's this sense of global connection there, mm-hmm. right? Even before we were technically a global denomination, from the very beginning, 
um, there were people, uh, you know, on two sides of the Atlantic Ocean working for the for the same um, just cause mm-hmm. and um, coordinating and, and trying to do that work. And, and you've got to imagine that, um, well, one historian that I read said, it's difficult to imagine um, the end of the slave trade in America without uh, without the the Methodist movement, uh, mm-hmm. anti-slavery movement in the Methodist Church. And um, yeah, it's just the beginning. We're working for all kinds of issues, uh, justice issues still today all over the well, world. Yeah, yeah. And and the uh, two pieces I might, I might kind of lift up, I know, as we, we wind down to... Um, uh, slavery is one of those things that sadly like is not over right like there is right. modern yeah. day slavery and so uh if you know you as a youth leader or you have youth that are learning about those things where there is um uh, systems that are in place that that are still creating slaves in the modern world um how can you work alongside your church right um to put some more weight behind efforts to continue to end slavery, right? right? I, I wish that it was done. It, it's one of those things, right? Like I I wish that racism was done. Um, it's not, there's still more work right. to do related to race, and a lot of it, right? Um, and so there's these things that we can continue to engage in and, and some of the roots of that Methodist movement really have to do with not, you know, not ignoring social stuff, but calling people uh, on things that need to be called mm-hmm. on um, in order to make yeah. society a little bit more just and a little bit more equitable. Uh, one of the other ones, because you mentioned, you know, the the Methodist Church in America forming after John Wesley passed away, um, you know, Wesley Wesley was super duper against division. He was against dividing. He was against yes. splitting. He did not really want a new church to be born. He really wanted to help reform mm-hmm. the Church of England. Um, and that was something that, you know, just was a constant reminder for me, because those that know the current mm-hmm. United Methodist story, certainly, um, is we're in a time of division where um, I think the founders and the, the people that started the movement would really ask folks to pause and think twice and look for that mm-hmm. middle ground that you mentioned, um, as opposed to yeah. dividing and figure out a, a third way or a via media or uh, you know a way to talk through things and to be able to stay united. It, it was really eye-opening for me to hear um, just how against you know, making a new church or div- dividing or splitting or anything like that. John mm-hmm. was, uh, at the start of the movement too. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, thanks. Thanks for kind of rambling through there with us, everybody. Um, if you have been to England, yeah. um, hopefully you knew a little bit of what I was talking about. If you haven't, um, it really is interesting. And, and if you're a youth leader that, um, you know, has not gone back to the formative places in your life, um, where you've kind of had some of those strangely warmed heart moments or, visiting the mm-hmm. church where you grew up at or the the camp that you were a part of where you felt a call to ministry. Um, I hope you can find the time to go back to some of those places and really reconnect with those things that gave you the energy and the call and the desire to get into youth ministry at the very beginning. Um, because it yeah. really can be fa- very powerful to kind of reconnect with your roots that way. Um, for all the other youth leaders out there, we hope you have just an incredible week ahead. And thanks for hanging out with us for a little bit of recharge.